if we didn't have the support of this community and some of the successes we've had as an organization, it probably wouldn't have gone as smoothly as it did go. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. Welcome to the day that changed everything. I'm Donna Broussard from Maine Biz. Today we have with us Dewan Eubanks, the president of the Maine Red Claws. Welcome, Dewan. Thanks, Donna. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we're so glad you're here. We have two things to talk about. Normally, when we interview somebody for the day that changed everything, we talk about one day. But in your case, Dewan, because you're special, we're going to talk about two days. Um, so what before we get going, let's let's tell our audience a little bit about who the Red Claws are. They may not be familiar. So the Red Claws um, in Portland, Maine, are part of the NBA G League, correct? Correct. Correct. Which used to be called the D League. Correct. Correct. So for people who aren't into basketball, sort of like most, I don't know, me maybe, but it's sort of like the minor league team of the NBA, correct? Exactly it. Okay. And in, and in 2009, the Maine Red Claws had their first season. So okay. The first year, I was brought on to the team a month after the announcement as VP of Corporate Partnerships. Okay. Yes. So you came on board as VP of Corporate Partnerships. And when did you become president of the team? I became president of the team in 2014. Okay. And so the way my escalation worked was that I came in the first two years, VP of Corporate Partnerships. And then there was a uh, uh, exit by the previous GM and president, the chairman who, you know, Bill Ryan Jr. set in as interim Mm -hmm. president, promoted me to executive vice president during that time, those two years, 2013, 2014. And then I moved over into the president's role 2014 and been in a role ever since. Congratulations. So your your history, your, your path to get to the Red Claws has been an interesting one. So if people know who you are, you went to school at Rice University, played basketball there, D1 scholarship student. I, I, my understanding is you had an, a major growth spurt in high school and decided you want you could play you could play basketball going from what five eight to what are you now yeah. six six nine? Six, well, in high school, my freshman year, I was five eight and like three quarters. Came back my sophomore year, six three and a half. Oh, wow. Um, so it gave me that opportunity to pursue basketball as another means to, in order to get into school, because as I, right. I've shared before, is that, you know, in school, I didn't quite know if I were going to be I would be able to go to a D1 university. My only way to college potentially was going to be through my, my academic track. And, you know, because I came from an underserved, uh, uh, not so uh, great environment in that time, my only way to school probably would have been community college or the military. 
mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. And so I was fortunate enough to have that growth spurt and it put me on a trajectory where I was able to play sports and open up additional doors for myself to receive a scholarship. So I chose Rice specifically because I wanted to be a civil engineer. Remember, I wasn't always six nine where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. So my purpose of going to school was more to become a civil engineer and getting my education to be able to start my professional career doing that. And once again, lo and behold, lucky me, became a freak of a nature and basketball began to open itself up to me and was given the opportunity to do so. What I was surprised to find out was that right from college, you got recruited by the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. And went yeah. on a two to three year session with them touring the world uh, as a Harlem Globetrotter. That must have been really fun. It was a, a <laughs> it was an exciting, fun time, you know, and I yeah. think I share this story quite a bit as well to most college students, as you know, we aspire once we're done putting in all that work over four or five years, or if you're, you know, you're fortunate, you're going to get your doctorate or master for a couple more years, you always dream of traveling the world. But oftentimes we don't know how we're going to do it because you have all those bills from college. And so for me, I consider myself considerably lucky to have had the opportunity to be recruited by a world-class organization to travel the world in celebrity status, get a paycheck for it and be on somebody else's expense. And so it was a great way coming out of school for me to see the world. So then the rest of your career was built in the events and marketing arena, right? You worked for several different marketing organizations that worked with the sports, um, not only with the NBA, but with the Major League Baseball as well, right? Exactly, yes. And then I got really teary when I heard this part. You came to Maine for love, Dwan. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't most of, us, most of us come to Maine for love? <laughs> we came you know, for love. One, so one your, your then wife was from Maine and, and wanted to come home. And yes. so you guys came to Maine. And, and as you were looking to build your career here, uh, working for an, a local events marketing company, yeah. you had the opportunity to go with the, with the Red Claws, which was the brand new franchise. So... Here we are um, with the Red Claws, started out their season in 2009. You got made president in 2014. And then in 2000, right before you became president, the team had a couple of affiliations with some of the NBA teams. The Celtics were one of them. 76ers, I think, was the other. And um, Charlotte, I think they weren't the Hornets then. but They were the Bobcats. The yes. Bobcats, right. So you had affiliation with them. And, and how many teams are in the G League? So at that time, which you're referring to, there were only yeah. 16, 17 teams that had come yeah. about. And so for those first two years of our existence, first three years of our existence, we were affiliated with the Boston Celtics and the Charlotte Bobcats. Right. And then that third year, the league began to grow uh, in the sense in our league, the, the D League at the time began to grow in the sense of like more teams began to become one-to-one affiliated right. with their parent affiliate. And so we ended up having to take on a third, which happened to be Philadelphia 76ers in that way. And so since that time now, we currently have 28 teams in the league overall. Okay. In 2019, I want to talk about the day that changed everything for you, which was when the Boston Celtics bought the Red Claws outright. So now you were not, you didn't have multiple affiliations, but you are now going to be owned by, by the Celtics. How, how long a process was that before they announced one? I mean, did they take a long time to decide? Were you in on a bunch of meetings figuring this out? um, Or was it a pretty quick turnaround? I wouldn't say it was pretty quick, but it was roughly around a year, a year and a half, you know, and the trajectory of most teams in our league were beginning to look as though they were going to either be purchased by a new ownership group or more importantly, their parent affiliate team, which is somewhat the, uh, the directive and the goal of the G League at the time in itself. And so 
for us, once we began engaging with the Celtics on the process of acquisition, it took roughly about a year, year, year and a half. Now, you guys were one of the only still independent teams at the time. And, you know, being from Maine and being a Mainer, our independence is important to us. And so I'm, I'm wondering what that was like going from being an independent organization with affiliations to being owned by, by the Celtics. Was that a, a major culture change for, for the you guys at the Red Claws? Not really in the sense of like culture change, but it was a wonderful change overall, simply because we became part of an organization as well-renowned and a brand as well-embraced and respected throughout New England, let alone, uh, you know, uh, throughout the world itself. And so it was great to become part of the organization overall. And from day one of our existence, back dating back to 2009, we always knew we were going to be tied to the Celtics in some form or some fashion, which our first 10, 11 years, we were tied through solely basketball operations. But when the time came to really become wholly owned by them, it was a wonderful day. You know, it was a wonderful time because it allowed us to have additional resources. And, you know, people in Maine, people in New England, I think in general, expect for their minor league teams to be associated and affiliated with Boston pro sports teams. And quite honestly, if you are a minor league organization not affiliated in New England with a Boston team, it's almost your own demise, you know, simply because of the fanaticism that New England sports fans, you know, have traditionally in a sense of like really being able to have storied sports franchises to follow and cheer on, you know. And so being acquired by the Celtics completely wholeheartedly, it didn't change much. It wasn't a negative change. It was a very positive change. And it just made us more complete is what I would say. There were welcome changes. And this is what I share all the time is the fact that I've gone through acquisitions and mergers through my previous life as well. We were a company that purchased companies. Mm -hmm. And I understand that it's not always rosy. You know, it's not always going to play, uh, play out the way most people on the acquisition side are thinking it would be. And that, in that sense, means having their jobs and perhaps getting laid off or sucked in and then just kind of dispersed in different areas. And so I can honestly say our acquisition by the Celtics was nothing like that at all. And if anything, we were in a place where we needed to have enhanced processes, you know, just due to the way our league had evolved, you know, and like I said, we've gone from being 16 teams at the time when we came into the league to now being 28 and pretty much a fully functioning minor league uh, organization to our parent league, the NBA itself, you know, and so, you know, I wish I could sit here and tell you that, yeah, we, we ran into some collisions and things of that nature, but we were in a place where we could use the additional resources that were being brought to the table. And that, quite honestly, for me, if you wanted to understand the, the rubber hitting the road in that year prior to that, was probably the most challenging thing for me personally was to make sure that as a company, when we were being acquired, whether it be by the Celtics or any other individual organization that was going to do it, is that when they came in, they saw that we were a viable company and that we were running lean and the things that we were doing necessarily didn't need to be changed. They just need to be enhanced and supported more. You know, and that's the beauty of our organization. And quite honestly, us being here in Maine, and I know you talked about Mainers love Maine. A lot of Mainers love Mainers and what we do here at home. This brand is a result of that. You know, when we started in 2009, we realized that this, this market was great for basketball. We just needed to do it correctly, you know, in that way. And we were very fortunate to have that take place in our first year. And from that first year on, We've been completely embraced and we have great fans. We have great community support. We have great business partners. And so to come into our organization, to see the things that we've been able to do over a short period of time, when I say in the existence of a company, 10 years, to see how we've been well embraced, our brand is well recognized in the marketplace itself, 
on top of that, being able to be a viable business on paper as well, it wasn't much to really consider, you know, otherwise being negative. And so that's why I'm, I'm having a hard time saying, well, yes, there were some head button and those some things, but in our case, it wasn't, you know, it just continued to help us out because once again, the community, if we didn't have the support of this community and some of the successes we've had as an organization, it probably wouldn't have gone as smoothly as it did go. Sounds like you had really good alignment. So exactly it. So in terms of the day that changed everything, that was a good day. So that we're going to take a great a, day. It was a great day. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break uh, here from our sponsors and we'll be we'll be right back. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. For us to be that close and to have it be like interrupted because of the pandemic was very disappointing. Week by week, we had to take it day by day as far as making decisions. And I don't think any of us understood the trajectory that this pandemic would go on. And for us, we didn't get notice that we were gonna cancel our season until like June or July. Welcome back. It's Donna Broussard and I'm here with Duan Eubanks from the Maine Red Claws. And we just finished talking about the great day that happened in 2019 when the Celtics purchased the Red Claws. And that was a great day of change and celebration. And since then, you guys have been on a roll. The team has done really well. Your coach got named coach of the year. You had major attendance records are, have been great, especially across the league. And then last year, you, Dewan Eubanks, was named the um, NBA Team Executive of the Year. Congratulations. That must Thank have felt you. good. It was, it was an extreme honor. You know, it was un unexpected. You know, it was somewhat surprising to me because we had went so, so long beyond because of the pandemic taking place. It caught me by surprise. And so it's a pleasant honor. I'm very grateful for it. Uh, you know, thankful that it was a, an award provided and chosen by my peers, which makes it even more special in that sense. But uh, once again, kind of, as I said before, if it wasn't for this community and our, our support, none of this really would have happened, you know? And so I'm right. very thankful and grateful. So things were really going well and you were guys were sort of, you know, flying high and the COVID ha happened. Mm -hmm. and you guys had to cancel the 2020-21 season. That must have been heart-wrenching. Donna, I know you're looking for that disappointing statement, and that <laughs> itself was disappointing. We shared in our fans' disappointment of, you know, having our best season yet on and off the court and potentially on a trajectory to make it to the conference, if not league finals, and have an opportunity to win them. And so it was very, very disappointing uh, to have to say that, all right, with four or five games remaining at home, in our season, we had to pull the rug, pull the plug on things, you know, and so like our fans, you know, I think everyone kind of suffered, you know, first and foremost with that, like, right, like heavy laid on decision that everyone moved on so quickly. And so, you know, we were, uh, we, <laughs> in, in what we do every year, you come back to try to win a championship. And we know that that isn't something that you're fortunate if you're part and those organizations oftentimes are a few and far between, but you're fortunate if you have a string of runs where you're in the championship a game multiple years in a row. And so for us to be that close 
and to have it be like interrupted because of the pandemic was very disappointing. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So what was the first thing that you guys decided to do? It's called, all right, the season's called. Now what? What what was the first thing you guys did? Well, the unfortunate thing for us is that the season wasn't called. It was put on pause. And so we ended up having to do was just somewhat wait on the direction from our league overall to say, all right, how are we going to look at approaching ending the season? You know, because we didn't necessarily call in and say the season's done. We just said, all right, here's what we're doing. We're taking a pause for the next two or three weeks. We're going to evaluate and monitor. And I'm pretty sure like everyone else during that time, they're like, oh, we'll take off two or three weeks, let it blow over. And then we'll get back to life as normal. And lo and behold, like everyone else, week by week, we had to take it day by day as far as making decisions. And, and I don't think any of us understood the trajectory that this pandemic would go on. And for us, that meant not necessarily that we didn't get notice that we were going to cancel our season until like June or July. Mm. Uh, and that was like several months later, you know, and so it was frustrating to have to sit back and just wait and not be able to make a move on it. But at the same time, we weren't the only industry having to deal with this. And so it was like everyone else. You take it one day at a time. You, you adapt and you learn to pivot. You also learn to be patient and understand that this is something that was out of all of our control, you know, in that sense. And so for us, we try to do a good job of standing connected with our fans and our business partners, because once again, we knew that they were very interested in understanding what was going to happen with our season. So we did our best to maintain connectivity and show them the service that they deserve being supporters of our team. Unfortunately, we went on for another year and we're still at that point right now where we're not playing. We opted out of the 2021 season. And primarily this is all driven by doing what's right for our business, but also at the same time, just making sure that health and safety it's first and foremost in everything we do as far as dealing with this pandemic and making our decisions in that way, you know. And so it's been a long, tenuous process of practicing patience, but also remaining hopeful and optimistic that at some point in time in the near future, we will be able to get back to what it is that we do in the new way and the new norm that perhaps we're going to be required to operate on when you talk about executing events of entertainment in the community. So. Right. So what were some of the things you said you pivoted? What were some of the things you did in your pivots? Like most other organizations, we had to quickly uh, understand whether or not we'd be able to work from home. You know, I think most businesses back then were struggling. And I know leaders in particular, because oftentimes we're challenged with the fact of saying, all right, do we trust all of our workers to really go home and be putting in the time necessarily needed in order to keep the business moving forward? And that was probably one of the biggest pivots for us as an organization, when I say like kind of tying it back to the, how it was a great day for us being acquired by the Celtics, immediately what ended up happening to us is that our structure infrastructure began to improve. We got updated computer software, things of that nature, which enabled us and allowed us to be able to work from home, everyone in that sense. And had we, and I'm not saying we probably wouldn't have done it if we were still independent, but we wouldn't have had those resources in place consistently the way we have them now because of our affiliation and ownership by the Celtics being able to provide us with those resources right out of the gate, you know? And so we pivoted in that manner, the way in which we began to like, I would say connect with one another, very similar to other organizations, Zoom meetings weekly. In the very beginning, Zoom meetings became a necessity because people were so accustomed to being face-to-face -face with people for six to eight hours a day that they needed that connectivity to try to get through and try to figure out what was going on. But then it just became this opportunity for us to really say, all right, 
you know, let's not look at the short term here. Let's look at this in the long term saying, all right, what if we aren't going to be back in the office for another month, two months? What are some of the things we need to really begin focusing in on and doing? And so that's where it became even more uh, important and imperative of us being a part of the Celtics organization is we began to integrate more into their overall organization. And so being a part of an organization that's over 150 people, there are system and processes in place, as well as methods in which we maintain culture, things of that nature. And that was probably one of the biggest things for us from a pivoting standpoint, from being an independent to becoming part of a larger organization is that we were able to be embraced by a larger organization that were looking out for the right things for their people. And that's trying to make sure everyone maintain their job. Yeah. You know, and that's for us, we've been very lucky that no one in our organization has been let go or furloughed throughout this time because we've been able to figure it out day in and day out, how to make everyone, how to keep everyone in place. That's important. So I'm sure you've been asked this question quite a bit. Why did you guys opt out of going to the bubble in Florida? It was a business decision. You know, it was a business decision for us at the time. And quite honestly, we would much rather play in front of our fans in Maine. The way the pandemic was unfolding and, you know, part of the process you've seen from the outside looking in as to what the NBA has had to do, and in particular in the bubble project they did last year, basically bringing everyone into a single site location, which they did, similar to the G League doing right now. But then the other aspect of that is the testing and all of the things you need to do in order to keep a sterile environment and ecosystem. And so that control mechanism, it takes money to do that type of stuff, you know, and a lot of money to do that, which our league, fortunately enough, has the means to be able to do. But when you start talking about at our level, just making business sense of some of the process and protocols to be able to stay ahead of things just would have been a lot to take on for a little return in that sense. And that return being, we thrive off a of plan here in front of our fans. You know, we feel very, very strong about being able to do so. And because of things being in flux the way they were, and because of the decisions were being made at a late time, we just decided to make the, org the, the organizational decision to do what's best for us. And that is to pull back from this season because we're not playing here, but then to also put more time towards planning towards a bigger and better 21-22 season, which hopefully now with the way things are unfolding, with the vaccinations taking place and the numbers going down, once we get to the fall of this year, we should be in a place where we're saying we're entertaining fans again in the Portland Expo and hopefully at a sizable number. And yeah. things continue to go right. And so it was just the right way to do things for us as an organization and a business, you know, and that once again ties back to being a part of an organization that has the means in order to support a decision like that, mm -hmm. you know, and so I'm very thankful for our acquisition. I tell people this all the time in the business world as to if I was still uh, part of an independent own uh, affiliation, I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation the way you, you and I are having it right now. You know, I'd be like most other small businesses out there, perhaps applying for multiple PPP loans, having to furlough the majority of my staff and doing what's necessary in order to remain consistent and connected with that league until I'm at a point where I could get back up fully running again. You know, and that is why I say there was nothing bad about the acquisition. The timing was perfect. And little did I know how perfect it would be in that sense. And so. Right. When would you have to, when is the normal start of the season? When would you normally be starting the 2021-2022 season? So the 21-22 season would begin in the fall. And traditionally, our seasons begin typically October, November, and run through April of the following year. And so by us being able to sit out this year, the 2021 season, which actually began in January, and it's, it ended yesterday, which was a shortened season, 
hopefully we're able to get back on cadence where things do open up over the next two or three months when you talk about having events in communities and things of that nature. That'll give us the opportunity to really get our feet underneath us and relaunch towards a 21-22 season, which in the late spring is when we begin to sell for the fall of the year, you know? And so timing-wise, it couldn't be any perfect in a sense of like where we are right now, planning for a 21-22 season. But once again, uh, you know, I hesitate to put it out there in the universe, but we still have to take it one day at a time because we don't know what's around the corner, you know, as we go right. into these seasonal changes and as people begin to get a little bit more comfortable going out and gathering with one another. Right. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about what we've learned from all of this change and all of this pivoting, which is a great basketball term, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is not business as usual. Now more than ever, the Norway Savings Business Lending Team is here to help make sure you're still able to do what you do. But let's face it, this is not an easy time. We will get through it together. It's a great comfort seeing the business community in Maine rallying around one another. It's our job to rally around you. Norway Savings. Live your life in color. In order to be able to do that, I need to have the right people. And if I get the right people, I need to provide them with the tools and resources to be able to do their job. If I'm able to do those last two well, I'll never have to worry about us being a profitable organization in that sense. I'm Donna Broussard, and I'm back with Dewan Eubanks, president of the Maine Red Claws, just finishing up our conversation about the two days that have changed everything for the Maine Red Claws, being bought by the Celtics and then having to cancel the season last year. But looking, things are looking up for this coming season, and that's exciting for everybody, the fans as well. I was in the Portland Expo this week getting my vaccination yeah. <laughs> and, it was, and it was sad to see you know it's like it's so quiet in here I'm used to it being loud and crazy with the red claws there so um, I hope that that it gets used for basketball not vaccinations uh, come the fall this has been quite a two three year years of a lot of change for the red claws and for you personally Duan you know as the president and leader of the organization so now that you know you've maneuvered through it you know you as you said you didn't have to furlough anybody you know things are still moving forward you're still able to keep the connections and the support that you've had and you're you know hopefully be planning the new year what have you learned from these experiences that you might want to share with with other business people that have gone through or will go through similar things well great question that you asked there a lot of ways to answer that mm -hmm. but first i want to address the fact of you being in the expo getting your vaccination I applaud you for doing that and I encourage others to be able to do so as well. That'll help us get back to a new normal sooner rather than later. So thank you for going into the expo. Even though it was boring, you're doing what we need to do at this point in time. Like I said, great question regarding what did I learn uh, regarding this time? And it's what I've been learning in particular over the last six or seven years dealing with an executive leadership coach. When I took over the role as president, with the red claws, you know, there were a couple of things I, I laid out for myself as far as stakes in the ground, because I talked with other leaders of organizations saying, all right, what are some of the things I need to be aware of stepping into this leadership role and things of that nature. And I never forget that one of the most sound advice recommendations that was given to me is like, figure out what it is that's going to keep you grounded. What's your purpose of being there? And out of the gate, I was able to say, all right, we're a for-profit company. I'm here to generate revenue. That's first and foremost, bottom line. But in order to be able to do that, I need to have the right people. 
And if I get the right people, I need to provide them with the tools and resources to be able to do their job. If I'm able to do those last two well, I'll never have to worry about us being a profitable organization in that sense. And so right out of the gate, I began thinking about those things that were going to keep me grounded daily, because as a leader in a leadership role, you know, so many things come across your desk and you get these great ideas and thoughts about what you want to accomplish, but oftentimes you get lost because you're trying to do so much. And so throughout that time, finding the right people and providing them with the resources and tools became more of my focus. And the reason for that being is that I realized I needed to have people that were vested in being in Maine, but more importantly, people that were also interested in learning more about themselves and being trained effectively. You know, and as I began to navigate that road of what type of training is necessary to do the type of things that I was looking to do, as you know, there are two types of training. There's tactical training, which I get a ton of support from the MBA around as far as like, how do you sell to make this? How do you get the, all of the basic stuff that you can gain in tactical training? But it was the adaptive training that really stood apart for me. And that's something oftentimes that as organizations, whether big or small, we don't put a lot of emphasis on because it's more about the bottom line and teaching people how to do the job and do a job well, as opposed to developing them as a complete person. And so what I learned the most out of this last year and over the last six years was the fact of having an organization with individuals that understand how to adapt was probably one of the best things that ever could have happened to us internally. And the investment we put into the training we provided over the last year and a half, two years for the new staff that I have. Having them be able to understand that, all right, it's not the end of the world. We need to be patient, trust, and understand the process, not go off on red herons or get caught up in our anxiety, but understanding how to approach it one day at a time and really understand how to adapt and pivot, the word that we've been using, was probably one of the biggest things that actually um, stood out to me was that I finally, I had a team that I've been striving for and I had great people be a part of my team, but I've also had a lot of turnover because of just the growth and the type of growth that I was looking to have, personal development. Oftentimes people aren't comfortable doing that, you know? And so the people that are with me now understand the importance of not only growing professionally through their tactical training, but also the adaptive training that we provide as well. And so, you know, that was one of the biggest lessons for me is being able to provide the individuals that surround you and support you daily with the resources to be able to do their job and do it well and not just tactically, adaptively working on themselves in that way. But then also the trust part, you know, that was the other thing for me. And as I mentioned, you know, I think like most leaders having to have all your staff work from home, that's one of those things where it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, how's this going to work? And I think the pandemic did wonders for a lot of leaders of big organizations to help them get over that hurdle of understanding, could they really trust their people to get the job done? You know, and I know there've been studies and you, know, you guys have provided insight regarding that as an organization as well too, but it's nothing like really trial by error. And in this particular case, it was trial by fire. And fortunate enough for us, we got through it in a manner in which I think it's gonna impact the way we operate as organizations moving forward. And perhaps providing our people with better benefits as well too. And those benefits being allotment of time and opportunity to work in remote locations and do the job and do the job well and be more fulfilled in that way. And so those are a few things for me that were learning lessons and positives out of this, I guess you could say, as far as like uh, what I took away from it. And, you know, I think as I, as I continue to look to move forward, it's the fact of how resilient we can be as people, in particular with not only the pandemic that we're dealing with, but also the, the racial and social injustice that we're dealing with and we're dealing with at the time as well too, which is really rising to the top because of the pandemic, quite honestly, you know? And so there's a lot to be learned from what we've gone through thus far, 
but the, the, the beauty of it is, is to understand that we still have a long way to go, but we can do it because we're on the tail, hopefully knock on wood, we're on the tail end of this pandemic. And if we do the things we need to do, we'll get past this and look back two years now and be like, man, you remember that time? And like with everything, it'll go into the history books and we'll tend to forget it a little bit, but it'll always be that mark where, quite honestly, hindsight's 2020 means a lot now, doesn't it? 2020 is going to always stand out <laughs> because of everything that we've learned. You know, it resonates with me more and more now. 2020 was a hell of a year. Yes. You know, and so it will now mean more to me and others, I guess, as we look back and say hindsight's 2020, it sure is. There's a lot we can take forward with us. And, you know, if we're able to open ourselves up, be human about things as leaders and respect one another, no doubt that we can overcome a lot of things that may be thrown on our path in the future. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.